You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Sarah Raven and Arthur Parkinson. It's Christmas Eve and we have sat down and wondered what everybody would like to listen to on Christmas Eve. And do you know what? We ended up thinking that we would give all our tips and all our knowledge about how to make flowers last as long as possible. So from picking, which obviously in the winter is not so prevalent, but how to then condition things so that even in our hot houses now over Christmas, you can really make sure that you maximise the use and the beauty that you get from the things that you've bought to decorate your houses over Christmas. But it's more than just that. It's also literally all our tips for how to condition throughout the year to make your flowers last as long as possible. So, Arthur, what is your top tip? Uh, My top tip, you know, at this time of year, I'm surrounded actually sitting here by lovely sprayed golden alliums and seed heads that I've gathered. My top tip is to really think about this season all through the year, if you can. Don't mention the word Christmas, but just look at the garden as things are going over and think, hmm, that's going to be really gorgeous inside at a time where I've got nothing to pick. Mm. So allium, for example, don't let the wind destroy it and turn it brown. Pick it as soon as it starts to fade from that lovely jewelly green into that yellow tumbleweed colour. Put them all in a box in the attic, somewhere light and airy, not too hot, not too cold, not damp, I think is the key thing. And then you'll be able to get them out at Christmas time and they will become the most gorgeous decor. It's the thing that your friends will come round and go, you know, if you've got allium scabertii suspended from the ceiling on a little bit of fishing wire, you know, you don't have to spray things. I know there's debate on whether we should be using hairspray and things on stuff. So even left natural, you can put, you know, little bits of jewellery on the end of each little seed from so just try and think about keeping things that in the garden might just look past it but actually at this time of year they become something other i think just trying to think about the season the seasons ahead in terms of drying things so that's that's about things that are dried but one thing that i've loved traveling we've we've got back from teaching i've been teaching all through the autumn and at various stages, we were both bringing hydrangeas, weren't we? Yeah. From our, our gardens and people that we knew as we were traveling. And some of the hydrangeas, when we got to the venues, literally looked like old rags because they dehydrated. Some, yeah. of, some of the hydrangea heads were, were too fresh, really, to be picked. And I remember there was this one tiny white hydrangea, which literally looked like a, a bit of white dishcloth. And you said, oh, put, put that in the sink. And I, I looked at it and thought, that's never going to recover. And I must have been in a in a thoughtful mood. So I did as I was told. So <laughs> chucked it in. A, I'd, I'd found, because um, we often go to wedding venues and things, I'd found this massive black bucket that was probably used for, you know, glasses and things. I'd filled that with cold water and I put all the hydrogens, including this one, which I didn't think had a hope in, hope in heaven of recovering, all in water, submerged them all, left them overnight, went to bed and got up in the morning. And then I lifted all the hydrangeas out. And this one little sad being had completely become an alive, gorgeous, plumped-up white swan. Yeah. And it was incredible. What had happened is all the surface area of what what looks to us as a flower on a hydrangea, they're actually what we call bracts, which are in large leaves. The flower of a hydrangea is actually in the middle of each little 
triangle of large leaves which make up those big mop heads mm-hmm. but every single one had over the hours of of night time when it's cool and dark they would just sucked in all the water and they'd plumped up and it was so beautiful and it had pride in place in the shop I looked at it all week thinking, God, what an amazing thing. That is so true. So that, just to make it easy to remember, I'm going to give you a sort of a list, which is the five S's. And Arthur has just described one of the S's, which is submerging. And funnily enough, I, I discovered this on the back of a peony photo shoot. I've worked for a very long time with a photographer called Jonathan Buckley, And we were booked to do a peony shoot at Kelway's Nursery in Somerset. And unfortunately, I was already down there and had already picked a whole lot of stuff, which I was then going to get him to photograph, which I was then going to write about. I think it was for House and Garden magazine. And this was honestly 22 years ago or something. Anyway, he he then, um, he rang me and he said he, he was really unwell and he had to go home because he was feeling incredibly sick and he got basically norovirus or something from one of his kids and so he turned around and went home so I had already picked all these peonies and I was like oh no what am I going to do with them so I said to Kelways, can I possibly take them home and I'm going to wait until Jonathan's better but I, I, I need to keep them going until he recovers and then he can come and photograph them later in the week and so when I got back I was sort of panicking what I could do because I didn't have enough vases for all these things I had them in buckets but in the morning some of them had flopped and so out of panic, I just chucked the whole lot in the bath and left them sort of really quite disheartened, saying to Jonathan, I don't think it'll work. We might have to rebook. And then by later on that day, I went in to look at them and they'd perked up to look completely brand new. And I took them out, put them in vases. We did the shoot and they lasted two weeks in water. And so peonies and hydrangeas are the two that I particularly submerge. And they can be totally floppy and completely collapse like Arthur describes with the hydrangea and if you submerge them in cool water so the flowers in the water not just the stems so literally floating like sort of a beautiful pre-raphaelite painting of these flowers floating in a river or something and they will perk up and be absolutely perfect so that is that is the first s and you can even submerge white flowers can't you that's the thing that everyone goes when we talk about this on the courses they go yeah, but what about white peonies? It doesn't yeah. affect the colour, does it? At all? No, they don't rot. I mean, no. I think both of them have quite a sort of tough cuticle or, you know, the outer layer of the petal. Actually, mm-hmm. if you think about it, they're, they're quite tough. And that's the key thing is that they need to have that so that they don't just go brown in the water. And so I, I tend to do them overnight. So So now I would put them in a bath of cold water before I go to bed. And by the morning, they'll be right as rain, even if they're floppy. But even if they're not floppy, that's what I do. And then it just makes absolutely the best use of them and makes them last for as long as possible in the vase. So the other thing, the other S, which perhaps I do more than any other, is searing. And that's submerging the bottom 10% of the stem end into a mug of boiling water. So I've got the coffee, I mean, I've got the kettle boiling. I pour it into a, a mug, two inches in the bottom, I then plunge the stem ends into that and I count how many seconds according to the texture of the stem. So if it's something like a bluebell, I give it five seconds. If it's cerinthi or honeywort, I give it 10 seconds. If it's something with a more woody stem, like a rose, I give it 20 seconds. Or if it's something really quite thick and woody, like for instance, blossom, 
I would give it 30 seconds. And then it goes back into its cold, deep water in the bucket that you'd originally picked it into. So you are searing proportional to the height of the stem and the texture of the stem. And also you sear the quantity of things according to your season. So in spring, I'm searing 75% of what I pick. So the only thing I'm not searing are bulbs because you don't need to, but I'm searing pretty much everything else. And because they're so floppy, because they've recently grown in the spring, by the autumn, I'm only searing 25% of what I've picked because by then they've laid lignin down in their cell walls and pretty much everything is upstanding. So the only things I sear at that point are late flowering roses. And again, annuals like Cerinthi, which I may have done a late sowing of because they will flop if you don't sear them. But it totally transforms literally almost everything in the garden into a wonderful cut flower. And it's actually brilliant for things like buttercups from the field or your wildflower meadow or your lawn as well. You can make them last. And even daisies uh, work incredibly well if seared, but I would literally just plunge them in and take them out again and then into the cold water. That's the key thing. Just like if you're blanching your spinach to perhaps freeze some because you've got a glut, you know, you, you don't want to leave it in the boiling water. You plunge it in you take it out and it goes straight into cold water or peas to keep them bright, bright green. You do the same. And it's just the same when, when searing your stem ends. They must go back into cold water to stop them cooking. Otherwise, they turn to mush. So for those of you who have maybe gone to supermarket and you're doing your final Christmas shop and been totally drawn to the flower stand, which a lot of us admittedly are. We haven't all got flowers to pick from our gardens and we haven't all got big conservatories and oranges to to pick forced flowers from what i often end up doing is buying a bunch as a present for our christmas table of amaryllises and the thing about amaryllises is you must please please buy them in bud because an amaryllis is not designed to travel certainly not designed to travel on public transport so i'm always on the bus um having collected my christmas dinner from M&S with my four big bags for life and a bunch of amaryllises but i would never ever buy the amaryllises open because the open petals bruise very easily you must buy them tight in bud and believe it or not even if the amaryllis is tight in bud the heat of a room makes it open very quickly within about 2 days it'll be open but you'll notice when you get your amaryllises home sometimes they might already have an elastic band on the stem end and that's because an amaryllis stem it's a bit like a bamboo cane, really. It's hollow, but it's also very delicate. So without the rubber band on the end, the end of the stem will start to curl up like a, a packet of Christmas what-sits. What <laughs> and, and within a few days, it will keep curling up and eventually the stem will start to split. So you must do two things. You must get a very thin bamboo cane from the garden and carefully put it up the middle of the hollow stem and what that does is it gives the amaryllis a lot of strength because if, like me, and you want your amaryllis to stay tall, what sometimes happens without a cane up their middles is they get they get tired and they'll droop and then the stem will, will dimple and break. And that's really annoying if you've got a glamorous, gorgeous amaryllis in full flower and it just breaks often while you're, you know, watching the Christmas special of Coronation Street. It's very <laughs> dismaying on Christmas Day. <laughs> But once you've done that, put the elastic band on or put it back to stop that crinkling up of the stem. And honestly, if you do that, your amaryllises will easily last about two weeks in the vase. They're very good because almost like a lily, by the time the first flower that's out is fading, the bud at the back will, will be the, the one that's going to take the colour gauntlet on. 
So they are worth buying, I think, by the stem. They're about four quid. Mm. So a bit of an indulgence if you want, you know, loads. But, you know, if you mix them with lots of branches, you honestly don't need many to create a centrepiece. And all I would do is mix them with branches, some copper wire battery-powered fairy lights, mm. and you've very quickly got a very glamorous-looking arrangement for, you know, about £15. So I really recommend Amaryllis. Yeah. So Arthur, <laughs> along with his... I love the idea of the Christmas what's it, along with his Christmas what's it, has brilliantly oh. described the third S, which is staking, which is it's internal to the stem. And then the fourth S is also can be relevant to Christmas time because I have to say I'm normally a great seasonal flower buyer or grower, of course, so I can go into the garden and pick what's there right now. But at Christmas, I do love a bunch of lilies. And I think it's just I have a sort of childhood memory of my aunt's house where she would often have forced hyacinths and and also a bunch of lilies, a big, big vase of lilies. And you'd walk into the room as you came down from your bedroom in the morning and there would just be this amazing perfume of perhaps a little bit of citrus and stuff and then just these these natural perfumes coming out from flowers. Freesias too is the other thing that often mm. you can get yeah. quite easily because they flower. You can force them quite easily for Christmas. But anyway, back to the lilies. They are also one of the things that you can get for really pretty good value from a supermarket on Christmas Eve or between Christmas and New Year. And what I tend to find is if I get them back, I don't sear them because they're a bulb because you don't need to sear bulbs. But as each individual flower opens, you remove the anthers as soon as they open rather than when the pollen has already ripened. So every morning and evening, I'll look at the bunch of lilies and I will just pull the whole lot off around the stigma before they're ripe. And that way, I'm effectively sterilizing that flower. And because there aren't bees around at this time of year, but also there aren't so many pollinators in your house, you, you, you effectively stop the flower being fertilized, pollinated. And so it just keeps on flowering because, of course, that's what it's there for. It's there to be fertilized, pollinated, and then it will go over because it's done its job because it can then make its seed. But if you do that, what we find is each individual flower on a stem of lilies here, having measured it across lots of different varieties, some it'll only prolong the sort of vase life of that individual floret, you know, the individual flower by a day. But with some varieties like Casablanca, the big white lily that's around a lot at the moment in supermarkets, it actually might, it prolongs it by three days at each one. So you can wow. actually double the vase life of a bunch of, let's say, 10 five or ten stems of lilies by just doing that simple technique. And then, of course, don't, don't, don't forget to top up your vases. And particularly with central heating at the moment, there's quite a lot of water evaporation. And so if you've crammed the neck of your vase with lots of flowers and they're just in the top sort of inch of the height of the vase and then there's evaporation overnight with the central heating, when you get up in the morning, if you don't remember to top it up morning and night, you'll find that quite a few of the stems have come out of the water and they start to die and you don't realise why mm. they are, so you chuck them out. But don't, just top up the vase morning and night with water and that will really, really, such a ridiculously obvious thing to say. I'm embarrassed to even be saying it, but just remember, remember to top up your vases. So that's the fourth S. And the fifth S is just very quickly for sweet peas in the trials that we've done here. We have found that sugar syrup prolongs the vase life 
of sweet peas only actually by at least 24, but actually quite a lot of varieties by 48 hours. So in sweet pea season, I make up a sugar syrup, just mixing obviously a quantity of water with sugar, let it cool, pour it into a squeezy bottle, put it in the door of the fridge. And then I just do a little zap of that into my jugs or vases of sweet peas in June and July. And from the trials here, that prolongs the vase life just a little bit, but obviously they're quite transient, so it's worth doing. Any other tips? Well, I just wondered, Sarah, going into the new year, January and February are quite fallow months, aren't they? So most of us will be buying flowers at some point. Yeah. Particularly for, for Valentine's Day, in, in, which is annoyingly, it's in February, the worst time of year yeah. to be buying flowers. What flowers would you consider to be okay regarding, you know, the amount of air miles that they've maybe been mm. exposed to? What flowers are okay to buy and what flowers should we really go, actually, I know that's been shipped in probably mm. from Kenya or Australia even, so I'm not going to bother to buy that now. But what flowers would come from, say, Holland maybe? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I think I use as my very general rule that if something would be in season naturally in mm. maybe, I don't know, six to eight weeks' time. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if we're buying now at Christmas, it's things that would naturally be in flower in let's say, early March, then on the whole, they haven't had too much fuel, i.e. oil, and, mm. and, and water and lights pumped into them. And actually, it doesn't take that much. You can just literally protect them under glass and you could probably force them into flowers. So for me, that's quite a good general rule. And so I would say that's anemone coronarius, the so-called big florist oh, anemones. my mum loves them. Yeah, yeah, I adore them. And they have a vase life of 10 days. And all you have to do with them is just cut the stem ends regularly and change the flower water. We might, we'll come back to uh, what to put in your flower water. Yes. So anemone coronarius, freesias, I really, you mm. know, they they flower naturally in the, in the rocky areas of the Mediterranean. I've seen them wild in Crete. And they would flower naturally in March or even late February. So they're very early flowering. Paper white narcissi are really good. So any of those forcing narcissi are, are really good and good value and will, will last for ages. I mean, those are the main ones. And then you can have some that can be held back. So for instance, nerines, if they're put in the fridge, they're actually pretty good because they will have been held back by maybe four to six weeks. Wow. But actually, they, I find they last pretty well as a result. And so they're, they're harvested and then put in a fridge or just grown in a very cold environment so they come into flower later. So I, I would say those would be my main ones. I do love things like the flowering euphorbia, you know, the sort of arching stems. But you know, I think they do require quite a lot of heat to pump them into flower. And I'm afraid, I think probably lilies, I know I've just said... <laughs> No, I think they're grown in Holland. I'm okay. pretty sure. I saw I saw a thing about cut flowers uh, inside the cut flower market, and I'm I'm pretty sure that most lilies in supermarkets are from Holland, not Kenya. But I do think I would draw the line at roses. I think most roses during the winter they will be coming from you know Africa, Australia. So don't want to see any roses on your Instagram feeds until it's rose time. But it's also <laughs> how much oil has had to be pumped into that to bring it into flower. Yeah, but I, I exactly. think I think you're probably right that lilies, you know, don't need a huge amount. And then in in the flower water, I think that's just worth chatting about. So a lot of proprietary flower food, you know, those sachets that you get given, 
Chrysalis is one of the makes, and they basically are stopping bacterial reproduction and supposedly feeding the flower at the same time. So they may have a bit of sugar in them to feed flowers, the flowers, but we find, as I've said in our trials here, that sugar actually is not a good thing to add because it, in fact, builds up the bacterial populations. But then they would either have a crystalline breach or a crystalline vinegar to decrease bacterial reproduction. And so if you don't have those sachets, I actually, we tend to make our own here and we just use a slosh, five tablespoons of clear distilled vinegar in two liters of water. And that will stop the bacterial buildup. The bacteria are what munches at the stem ends. They then excrete slime. Slime then blocks the water uptake to the flower and the flower dies. So it's pretty obvious really. And it's also what underlies all those old wives' tales, which are sort of, you know, partially correct, which is a copper coin, I think, changes the pH of the water. And by acidifying the water a little bit, you decrease bacterial reproduction, just like the vinegar does. And then flat lemonade is citric acid and carbon dioxide in solution makes a weak carbonic acid. And so again, it's acidifying the water, but in a weak solution. So decreasing bacterial reproduction by another route. So, you know, do we use it every day here? Absolutely not, I have to admit. But if I've spent a lot of money on amaryllis or lilies or freesias or anemone coronaries or whatever, particularly over Christmas when the central heating is pumping away and the lights are on pretty much all day, I do use some kind of flower preservative and I really do believe it makes a difference. Mm. as does giving the flowers a break in a cool room doesn't it compared to having them in the heat of the living room i think oh completely right put your flowers out if you're not going to have a frost or snow mm. um when you put the dog out for a, a pee at night put out your flowers on the doorstep or put them in a larder if you're lucky enough to have yeah. one and you're not going to be looking at them while you're asleep so there's no point in them sitting in a warm room while you're asleep and it is if they're portable it's well worth making the most of them and and then the final thing, just so you've got everything I know really about conditioning flowers, also with picking, follow the order. Pick, condition, which we've talked about with the five S's. Rest, which is rest them in cool water, in the dark, ideally overnight, and then arrange. Do not pick plonk. If you pick plonk, things will flop much more likely. If you pick, condition, rest, arrange. Things will really last their maximum as a cut flower and often will last almost as long, if not as long, as they would as a garden flower. So you're not then guiltily stealing the view. So pick, condition, rest, arrange. And the five S's are searing, submerging, staking, sterilizing. And the final one is sugar syrup with sweet peas. Oh, and I'm going to add one more S. Oh, good. Stripping. Oh, Strip well your done. foliage. Yeah, you finish with that, Arthur. No foliage under the waterline because it looks awful under the water and it will also very quickly decompose, cause cloudy water and bacteria. So any foliage under that waterline, strip it off. Well, you now have literally everything Arthur <laughs> Every and I know. I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a mind dump for you for, mm. for Christmas Eve, but at least hopefully it will make your flowers last all the way from Christmas until new year and have the most wonderful christmas everybody and thank you to everyone for listening to us throughout this year and see you on new year's eve and a merry christmas
You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.